Matt. Hello, Dave. How are you? I'm so starstruck to see you by the oh, way Matt please please I'm, I mean you're the uh, the other woman as I like to call your mm. other podcast and I know there are many of them but the one that's most prominent right now just reached number one in the music category in Apple podcast and in it, the music category it's not even out yet it's an intro episode it doesn't exist it's wild. Yeah, it's just the trailer. Anyway, but yes, Waiting for Impact, you can uh, subscribe wherever you do your podcast subscribing, and please do. It helps. And we're, we've... We're we're on the charts. We're up with the with the Rogans and the and the Shapiros. Wow, just always where you want it to be. Right, exactly where any self-respecting homosexual wants to be. Um so yeah, anyway, I'm I'm delighted about that. Thank you for Thank you for bringing that up. When does the first official episode drop? Uh, they actually all come out on October 12th. If you are a Stitcher Premium subscriber, you can uh, listen to them all and binge them and the the whole bit. Um, or they come out every Tuesday. New music dropping every Tuesday, just like the old days, uh, starting on October 12th. And by the way, I, I mean, if you are, you should join Stitcher Premium if you want to find our old episodes because they're in there somewhere, I think. They have to be in there somewhere. Yeah. Um, but yes. Uh, yeah. Thank you for bringing that up. Are you watching season two of the other two? I have caught, uh, not properly, I have caught moments okay. of it because Michael's obsessed. And I do, I mean, I know that it's the funniest thing on TV. It's absolutely outstanding. It might be better than the first season, if that is possible. I'm a little bit behind, but I'm I'm absolutely loving it. Chris Kelly is a genius. Yeah, search I love him. Love him. We got to have him back. We got to um, have him back. Got to have him back. Yeah, it's it's incredible. Drew Tarver, a, an American treasure. You know, we are recording this on a Monday, and we are. I. I'm still recovering from a Friday night that I had recently. You know, we, I often talk about my kind of um, uh, dirtbag days when I was just yes. trolling around Santa Monica and Robertson and WeHo drunk yeah, all the yeah. time and had a bit of a reunion with that old part of myself. Uh, my uh, dear friend Mike is moving uh, out of LA. And so. Yeah. Four of us who have not gotten together in years got together for what was meant to be a grown-up dinner of just kind of like a proper catch-up and a proper send-off for our friend. But something about the chemistry, like even on the way oh, sure. to West Hollywood, I was like, I feel like something's happening. And we went to not just a second location, but a third and fourth. I don't even know the names of the bars in West Hollywood anymore. There's a high tops yeah. here. There's a cat cache or a catch something. There's a beaches. There's a beaches what? in there somewhere. Uh, and uh, went to Rocco's, the, the Lance Bass uh, spot. Sure. I've never been there. And just like danced really hard, you know? Great. Laughed really hard. Seeing some of the videos that, are, that people were taking the next day, it, it's tough to see what you looked like versus what you felt like in that moment when you're just soaring yeah. on margaritas and, and, and think that you're really giving it, you know? Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, I can do that about once every six months. Mm -hmm. So are, are we having like an emotional, is it like an existential hangover that we're having right now or is it physical? Just physical. You know, there okay. were so many heightened emotions between the others uh, that yeah. I had to be a bit of the, um, I don't know, the straight man 
as it were. Oh, uh, you oh. know, this was because this was the kind of the level of drunk where so, two people have an explosive fight and then they're crying and laughing and they're hugging and they're they're closer than they've ever been. All right. of those things happened in one night. Wow. Wow. Yeah. I'm yeah. having the uh, emotional existential kind because I just had sort of like a a weekend of like day beers. You know, there's a new uh, brewery that just opened up very near us. So met for a couple of beers and then uh, at, met at uh, Glendale Tap for a breakfast sandwich pop up yesterday, had a couple of beers. So now I'm just, yeah, I'm like, I'm not hungover. I'm just like sad. You know what I mean? Mm, like you mm -hmm. can't, you hit middle age and these things become emotional experiences instead yeah. of physical experiences. That's what I'm going through right now. Oh, well, but, happy to hear that you're here with me. In this I am happy to be here and you shouldn't be sad. You can't be sad because uh, this week's guest, this interview is, oh is the lift of a lifetime. No question about that. Russell I Brown. Wait. I, I, I mean, he, stick me with pins. Big time. I can't wait for you to go try acupuncture for the first time. But Russell Brown is an acupuncturist uh, to the stars. I know he would hate to be described that way, but it, it's true. Also acupuncturist right. to me. Uh, and he's so much more than that. He is like one of the coolest, funniest, smartest people that I know. And, um, yeah, he's, he's an excellent, uh, Instagram follow at Oak acupuncture. Uh, and we just had a really fun conversation with him. Well, let's get into it. Russell, you're here. You've learned to record. You've learned to hide self-view. Thank God. A lot has happened already. And I believe you just got back from Provincetown. Is that right? I did. I've been back for two days now. So I'm in that very strange post-vacation. Like, I have to reset my life. Like, I can't keep doing this feeling that we all mm -hmm. kind of get, which is why I don't take vacations very often because I don't like that feeling of like, I've been doing this all wrong. I've been doing this all wrong, yeah. which is a regular is is part of vacation i believe yeah uh, oh, vacation yeah. grief post-vacation grief uh, so i'm in that phase well take Ugh. us back to the good part of it walk yes. us through your days in p-town let us live vicariously have you guys both been to p-town yes we've yes. been together oh nice very good p-town is uh one of my favorite i've been going there for 15 years you know i'm in la so it's a pain to get to from LA, which is, I think, part of what makes P-Town amazing, because you really have to earn Provincetown if you're coming from Los Angeles, because it's like the taxi to the airport, and then the flights aren't timed well, so like you have to kind of spend the night in Boston or to get the ferry. I took the little puddle jumper plane, which is like 20 minutes of terror, and but Provincetown's just lovely, and I feel like a different person when I'm there. It's a fantasy of what it could be like to not have a car and ride a bike and be around mm -hmm. different types of people. And the world just feels very different. And it's like, couldn't be the polar opposite of like Los Angeles architecture, which is mm -hmm. where I grew up. So like everything here was basically built in the seventies, which was not the pinnacle of architecture. And then you go there and like every house is beautiful. Every house looks historic and a, what a beautiful thing to exist in that space and just to like just to be 
on the coast just to be in that world is really nice this was a, a interesting trip because my boyfriend did not come uh so i got like a good 10 days of uh alone time which was very nice and very earned uh mm -hmm. i was actually there i was trying to do some writing while i was there and i very specifically wanted to write in provincetown so there was sort of like this, should you come or not come? And I was like, don't come. Like, let me just work. I don't want to have to feel like I have to stop and take a lunch with you at Relish or wherever. I yeah. just want to be able to be on my own clock. And it was it was really great. It's good. But still, you know, four o'clock rolls around, you better be at that tea dance. <laughs> I don't, I'm not doing that. I'm not COVID. Uh, I am more COVID shy than yeah. needing to be crammed into that disgusting hotel, uh, which I'm sure is lovely. But uh you know, they had that outbreak not all that yeah. long ago, and yeah. literally nothing has changed in Provincetown, and yet people have seemed to have forgotten that entirely, and the bars are all packed, and no one's wearing masks inside, and I didn't, it didn't really compute to me, and so I was like, I'm just, I don't need to be doing that. Yeah. Wow. But did you get some writing done? I did. Yeah, I did. It's really hard. I mean, I don't know how, I mean, I know you, Matt, you're a writer. It's like, I'm an acupuncturist, so I don't really write, but I have been threatening to write for a long time. And so it's very different to like actually do it and like sit in front of a computer and have your computer taunt you and laugh oh, yeah. at you because you have nothing to think about today. And I, I don't have that relationship with writing, but I, I really got it there. And so it was a, yeah. a good wake up call. Yeah. How, how, how did you face the, the blank page, the blank screen? I mean, it's, it was really hard because like I said, I've been like, I could write, sure, I have things to say, which I think is sort of like every uh, cis white man thinks they have things to say mm. and that the world needs what we have to say. And I sort of struggle with that just generally, like, does, does anyone need to hear from me? Does like, do my thoughts need to be documented? I've, I have such a strange relationship with content as it were with the world right now, like thinking like... Does it, I don't I don't need to make more content. I don't know that I, the world needs another written paragraph from someone like myself. But I really was just trying to like go into that and see what I could make of that and what that process could look like for me. And I generally did well. But again, I was in Provincetown, so it's a fantasy. And I think if it were sitting in my house trying to do it, it would be much darker. Uh, I was on the beach. My hotel looked out on the beach. I had a, a nice setup mm -hmm. for that particular struggle. Sure. Can you talk about what you are writing? Sure. I am. I, I, I'm an acupuncturist. I'm. A, I've been an acupuncturist for 15 years now, and I'm a Los Angeles acupuncturist. And I really want to sort of talk about that experience. Frankly, like the wellnessy world in Los Angeles that is both ridiculous and stupid and beautiful and meaningless and also meaningful from the perspective of someone who's been doing it through essentially the Bush administration through COVID, which I think has now put a different pallor on what this whole wellness movement is to me. Like, what does it mean that after all these years and all these billions of dollars, we can't all get a consensus that wearing a mask during a pandemic is a good idea. Is that like a failure of the entire industry? And those are the things I think about. And that's stuff I would like to be writing about. Well, so the world does need to hear from you. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So what what answers have you arrived at? as to well it's a tricky one right because there's different worlds right like we are i mean we are living amongst different worlds and so i'm really about 
I can only touch the part of the garden that is nearest to me. So I really think about in terms of Los Angeles. Fortunately, Los Angeles people sort of co-sign to a lot of my beliefs about wellness generally and specifically about uh, the pandemic and how we're supposed to be dealing with COVID. But I do really, you know, like I have peers of mine who I went to acupuncture school with who are, you know, not on board with vaccines for whatever reason that is. And that breaks my heart and what that looks like. And I have patients who are acupuncturists who come in and they're not getting vaccinated and having to sort of confront that for me is very challenging because I'm obviously very pro-vaccine and very pro-mask. And I uh, think that the science has spoken for itself. I don't really think that there's a lot of wiggle room around this stuff anymore it's just undeniable that the vaccines are keeping people out of the hospitals and that the entire infrastructure of the hospital system in America would have buckled if there hadn't been vaccines at this point. I can't imagine trying to refute that. I think that it's everyone's responsibility to help that and to make sure that people still have access to good medical care. And I don't think that I'm supposed to be putting that responsibility on anyone else. I think that's my responsibility too. And I think that that's why I got the vaccine. I'm not worried about personally being sick, but I don't want to contribute to a bigger problem. And that's why I did it. And so I'm having a real hard time just dealing with colleagues of mine, peers of mine, friends of mine who um, see it differently than that. Yeah. Do you? How do yeah. you interface yeah. with them? How do you engage with people who... It's really wild. I mean, you know, at this point, the conversation feels very moot to me, I have to say. Like, I am not of full of benevolence and joy that I want to get into that conversation, especially because I just feel like at this point, at the end of 2021, if you're not going there, you're not going there. And the conversation goes nowhere. Uh, it always goes nowhere, I have to say. And I've never had the conversation in a way where I have learned anything. Like, I haven't come away from that conversation feeling like, that was a really good point. It never goes there. So I try to just avoid the conversation at that point. And I feel like there's no conversation to be had with at, at this point anymore. There was a little while where there was sort of a little bit of wiggle room and you could kind of hear each other and move the conversation forward, but it's not there anymore. And I don't want to do it. But I do get this hinge in me when someone is like, oh, no, I'm not vaccinated. Like I, I get like a snap of a little bit of anger and I don't really know how I'm supposed to deal with it professionally because I, yeah. I don't think I'm saying don't come get acupuncture, but I, I'm almost saying that. Right. Yeah. I, um, I was talking about this this very day with a friend who, who was like, here's, this is it. When I was 27, my, uh, I went to see my GP. He said, you know, he wanted me to get the flu shot. I was like, I don't feel like getting a shot. He said, you're going to sit down on the subway next to an old man and you're going to kill him. If you don't get the shot, so get the shot. And he was like, oh, yeah. And that's that. That's yeah. that's it. That, and it. that's still it. Yeah. How did it become more complicated? I mean, well, it got all political, obviously, and it got yeah, so, so stupidly right. political. But uh, not to get too Chinese medicine-y, but, you know, in Chinese medicine, we're governed by the five elements. Taking care, giving care, receiving care is part of the earth element. And the goal of the earth element actually is to transform selfishness into selflessness. The goal of care is about it's not seeing yourself as the central recipient of care, but that you are supposed to want to take that care to give care to strangers you don't know. That is the point of what the earth element is, is to say, oh, we're all connected. We're all taking from the same pool. 
we're all supposed to be sharing a little bit. And so I don't have to see myself as the center of that. I'm actually just one of this thing. And so I always think if you don't, if you don't think that vaccines are about you or that your personal version of health is I'm taking care of myself and my children, then I think that you have an earth deficiency. Basically, I think you're still sick. I think that there's a, a real illness that you're carrying around that you have decided that your personal autonomy is yourself probably your children and maybe the children that you want to have someday and that's it and i think that that is a real um sick way of existing in the world frankly i agree yeah and that's why this is a, a this this so surpasses the the idea that like we cannot we can disagree and coexist it's like well actually we can't we can't Sorry, I didn't mean to go on a whole vaccine oh, thing. Yeah, no, no, please. Yeah, I, I'm please. so glad you did. It's such a it's such a touchy subject, which of course is so stupid that it's a touchy subject. Like no one thinks the polio vaccine was a touchy subject. No one thinks a tetanus vaccine. But for some reason, this vaccine, which at this point has been FDA approved, like there's there's just like there's less and less wiggle room on it. And I think it'll be one yeah. of those things where it's like seatbelts. We're sure yes. when they made it legal, to, you have to wear a seatbelt. People didn't like it. And now no one thinks twice about it. Of course. Yeah. 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 And, and like, literally, we're, we're arguing about essentially whether you should cover your mouth when you cough. Mm. Like, that's that's Crazy. And that's whether it is uh, like uh, impinging on your personal freedom to be totally, asked to cover right. your mouth when you cough. Right. And again, right. like, as a wellness practitioner who like really, you know, like I, I got licensed in 2006, I was there for this whole rise and fall of the wellness arc to be like, where did we go wrong that we can't even get everyone to be like, oh, you cover your mouth when you cough? Like, what was the, all the point of all of the Reiki and all of the, you know, chiropractic and the ashwagandha and the acai bowls and all of the wellness stuff? If the very nature of like, oh, it's a phlegm communicable disease, so we should probably not cough in each other's face. If that yeah. basic alone didn't you know, land for the population, then I don't know what that means. It's wild. And, yeah. and it's, you know, as, as three gay men, we, we yeah. can say this, if it were the three of us in 1988 talking about, we don't want to wear condoms, the rest of the world would very easily see th that as a selfish totally and, problematic. and yeah. decadent choice. Right. Um, but it's like, but we got, we got to listen to people who don't want to wear masks. No, I actually don't have to listen to them. No, I and don't. I'm just going to go ahead and say it. And I don't care. Like, I think the anti-vax movement is hetero nonsense, frankly. I think it's it very is. clearly coming from people who've never dealt with a plague before as the gay mm -hmm. community has. I think it's people who are prioritizing babies and their want to have a baby and their children and the belief that like, having their children and taking care of their children is the most central thing that uh, the, the whole purpose of existence. And I, I've yet to meet a gay person who is anti-vax. I have to say, I'm sure they're out there, but I think it's pretty fringe. And I think yeah. the expectation is, is that as, uh, as a minority as gay minority, we understand that we have to take better care of ourselves. And I think that probably straight people really like that idea, but at the end of the day, they're taking care of themselves, their family, their parents. And then after that, they're, they understand public health. And I just think that's how it is. Somebody had to say I, it. Yeah, exactly. Please. I, 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 there's so much I want to ask you about, um, your work. Uh, but I mean, your story in particular, you were a legit film executive with like a full-blown career before doing this complete 180. So, so t tell us that story. Sure. I was, uh, I, I went to 
School for Journalism at Berkeley. And then I went and I worked in the film industry. I worked for a producer named Neil Moritz, who went, we did Fast and Furious movies. We did Cruel Intentions. We did uh, a lot of movies. We did Triple X, all those uh, sort of fun popcorn movies. And that's what my career was. And I thought that's what I was going to do. And then uh, what actually happened was I was on the set of one of our movies and it was right after 9-11. And it was, I think it was the anniversary of 9-11. And I was looking around at sort of the artificial world we had built there. And I was like, I'm, I don't, I want to, I want to work in the real world. Actually, I don't want to work in an artificial world. And that was sort of the first instinct in me of like, I need to actually participate in, um, in existence and not in an imitation of existence. And so that sort of was the first little nub in me that like my career was not going to last long. Also, I'm sure both of you know, like to really succeed in film, you have to really want that to be your entire life. And I was like in that place of like, I don't want to have drinks with other development people at the end of the day. Like I wanted to just go home. Like I didn't want them to be all my friends. And I was seeing people who were really succeeding, really love that. And I was like, this is not going to work. Like I'm not going to industry parties. That's not, it did not appeal to me in that way. I think the entertainment industry is great. And obviously I love it. I think entertainment is really important and actually working for the producer I worked for he was really the one that said, like, kids have it hard, you know, like, it's not easy in the world. They deserve to go on a Friday night and have two hours where they don't have to think about their lives. And I really think that's a great service. And, like, that was always sort of the impetus for, like, The Fast and Furious was, like, let these kids have an outlet for some of their frustration or whatever it is and let them be in a fake world. And um, and I still think that's a great service. I think that's amazing. I just needed uh, a little bit more of a direct service for that. And so uh, one day I was at a restaurant in Los Angeles called Toast, which is a restaurant that we went to oh, in 2001. You would wait in toast. line for it, which is insane yes. to me. But <laughs> yeah, like you would, for an hour, for nothing. But it was and delicious. You would, you, would not, you would not think a thing of it. Totally <laughs> right. The food, fine at best. Fine at best. Yeah. Fine at best. Yeah. Although I think that was where I first had red velvet. Sorry, that's oh, sure. an aside. Yeah. And probably that alone would have made you, yeah, it was definitely yeah. a red velvet moment uh, in 2001, 2002. Anyway, this yeah. woman at the table next to me was talking to her friend about becoming an acupuncturist. And I just, something in me, I was like, I think that's what I'm supposed to do. And I started to talk to her. She hadn't started school yet. She said, you should go to the school. There's one in Santa Monica. And I went that day and it happened to be September and the classes were starting. And I, he, they said, why don't you just take night classes? And so I started a night class. I went that week to night class. She was in my class and she was like, what are you doing here? And I was like, I have no idea, but I just started taking these night classes. And eventually, uh, we were supposed to go to Australia to film this movie called Stealth with Jamie Foxx and Jessica Biel about a spaceship that had its own intelligence. I actually don't know if I ever read the script, but I said, you guys go, I'll stay. And by the time the production ended, I had quit and I was in school first full time and I was, I was in school and acupuncture school is four years. It's a long program. And so I just was doing that. And then I think I graduated in 2006. It's, it's been interesting. And now, I mean, Matt, you know, like most of my clientele are film people or television people and I get their world. I see it. I can feel it in my bones yeah. and it has very much helped me because I understand not just like the work of it, but like how that work, that existence really takes its toll on the body, what the creative process, that specific 
business creative process does to a soul. I can see it very yes. clearly. And, and, and now I've treated enough writers and directors and actors and executives that I understand how those patterns work and they've changed over time, but it's, uh, it's definitely given me a window into it. And, and that's to go back. That's sort of what I actually kind of want to write about too, is that like, that's part of my work. You know, I'm a Hollywood acupuncturist, whatever that is, however ridiculous that is, but that's part of it. Yeah, it is. One of the great things about seeing you is that it is, I've never been to another acupuncturist, so I don't know if other people do this, but that it is a mini therapy session, essentially, before the actual treatment starts with with the needles. And it's very emotional or it can be, I mean, it is, is for me anyway. And so many of us are coming in carrying baggage around work and the insecurities around our careers. And to talk to someone who actually understands the sort of like brass tacks of that and also can help you see a bigger picture is just so incredibly helpful. Oh, thank you. Um, that means a lot. And, and what I love about you specifically that I, I find it hard to articulate, but is that you are this kind of perfect blend, this perfect balance of being a, um, healer a word that i'm sure makes you cringe in some and i that's one of the reasons i love you is that the word probably makes you cringe um but is also so incredibly compassionate and grounded in 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 love but also calls bullshit on the the elements of the wellness industry that you know you need to call bullshit on anyway so this like perfect balance of light and dark and where do you how do you perceive that in yourself um, I think, you know, I, I obviously don't love to speak too highly of myself, but I feel that actually for myself. Like, I think that over these years, I have definitely, I have both become more cynical and also more compassionate. Like, I see it and like, having witnessed people's lives through time makes me both annoyed by them and endeared to them. Like, you can't have one without the other. And I feel that for my patients, like, I feel very fortunate that so many of my patients I really love, like, you know, like, I love you. I love, you know, like, you know, who my clients are like, I really love my patients, 93% of my patients. Uh, and, uh, and it's easy to love most of my patients, but I also still have some cynicism to me. Like I always am going to have that. And I think it's probably people don't expect an acupuncturist to be cynical, but why wouldn't I be like, I have to convince myself every day. I have to, you know, I have my own threshold of bullshit for my own experience and for my profession and for the work that I'm now doing. And so by the time it gets to my patients, I hope it has gone through all of my own filters on that. And so when people feel like they're getting something authentic from me, it's because I've really had to look at that stuff, you know, and it's hard because I have a profession, you know, acupuncture is not tangible. You can't measure it with science. You have to measure it in feeling. And that's what I say. Like, I don't love to talk about acupuncture because acupuncture is not meant to be talked about. It's meant to be experienced. And if you haven't really done it, you can't have that conversation because it's a feeling. It's not words. And I can try and put words to the experience of it. But ultimately, I'm talking about being embodied, you know, like how, what that feels like. And we live in a world that doesn't want us to be embodied. You know, writers don't want to be embodied. You guys want to be in your heads, which is where you get your money from. And I appreciate that. And what I'm saying is, is that for 
40 minutes once every two weeks. Can we get you out of your head and just put you back in your body so that you can feel more and think less? Folks, I'm going to let you in on a little secret. My eight-year anniversary with Michael is coming up, and I'm going to tell you the gift that I got for him. Michael, if you're listening, please don't. It is a uh, beautiful hand-painted portrait from paintyourlife.com. So paintyourlife.com, you get a professional hand-painted portrait created from any photo, a truly affordable price, or you can combine photos of people or places you love into one painting. You get to choose from a team of world-class artists and you work with them until every detail is perfect. It's a very user-friendly platform. It's so easy to order a custom-made hand-painted portrait in less than five minutes. It's super fast. I was so surprised that You can receive your portrait in as little as two weeks. You just send any picture of yourself or your kids or your family or a special place, um, someone you loved who is no longer with us. Uh, In our case, it was a a picture of us that we love of uh, the two of us walking on the beach with Faye, our belated dog you've heard me talk so much about. Um, It's the perfect gift for a birthday or, or wedding gift or, of course, an anniversary. Meaningful, personal. You will cherish it forever. At paintyourlife.com, there is no risk. If you don't love the final painting, your money is refunded, guaranteed. And right now is a limited time offer. Get 20% off your painting. That's right, 20% off and free shipping. To get this special offer, text the word homophilia to 64,000. That's homophilia to 64,000. Text homophilia to 64,000. Paint your life. Celebrate the moments that matter most. Terms apply. Available at paintyourlife.com slash terms. Again, text homophilia to 64,000. Ooh-wee, it's autumn. Oh, what a great time to hang out with friends. There's a little little chill in the air. It's kind of crisp. You need a light jacket, good sweater, uh, an old hoodie that a hookup left in your apartment, but it looks better on you. Mm-mm-mm. It's a great time to hang out with friends. The best hangouts are just you, a bunch of pals, and some Miller Lite. And you can dress however you like. There's something satisfying about just kicking back and feeling like you can be your own true self while cracking open some cold ones with some friends. Cheers to keeping things uncomplicated. Just like Miller Lite. Since 1975, they have been the beer with the taste you can depend on. No games, no gimmicks. Just a great beer for people who like beer. People like you and your friends. Whether you're in person or not, you can do this over Zoom as well. Obviously, in-person is preferable. But either way, you can count on Miller Lite to bring you and your friends together for Miller time. Miller Lite, great taste, 96 calories. Go to MillerLite.com forward slash homophilia to find delivery options near you. Or go to any store ever. They sell Miller Lite pretty much everywhere. They sell beer. It's Miller time. Celebrate responsibly. Miller Brewing Company, Milwaukee, Wisconsin, 96 calories and 3.2 carbs per 12 ounces. Get it. So, Matt, can you put the acupuncture experience into words? I have not had it, Russell. And yeah, and, and he's going to come. I We've am. already discussed. I'm in the middle of making my first appointment. You're very hard to uh, to get 
an appointment. He's in demand. It's very busy right now. We're all we're all scrambling to catch up. But I, I so will Matt, say that yes. Russell himself. Everyone should follow Poke Acupuncture on Instagram. It's a it's a great follow and a surprisingly hilarious follow. And there are there's a series of Instagram stories you do called the Wellness trash can i think that is an, a, sort of an educational piece uh about different uh, different things in the wellness industry that we need to trash but that's not why i bring it up why i bring it up is that you did post a story that i think you were explaining kind of the phenomenon of being accustone which is one of the best parts of getting acupuncture is that that is very real but I'm just going to read something you said, which is that the relief and pleasure you feel when you leave acupuncture is nothing less than experiencing the collapse of the separation between heaven and earth, which nothing has felt more true, but how how else can we explain that? Right. I mean, and Dave, like you're, you're not going to get it, but one of the things acupuncture does is when you have acupuncture needles in, you both feel light and you feel heavy. And that's the weirdest experience. You're both in your body because you're really pinned down and you feel every inch of your body, but then you also feel completely outside of your body. And that's the experience that I'm trying to describe in those words is, is that you are both very specifically a human body. And then you're also someplace totally far away. And usually most of my patients are like, I traveled somewhere, like your brain just leaves and goes somewhere else. And so what acupuncture is trying to do is put you in both of those states simultaneously. And that's really what I want. And so then people leave and they're very googly eyed and I'm pleased and they get back into their cars and they're not my responsibility. And if they can't drive home, that's also not my responsibility. That's (laughs) I'm only liable until you step outside of my office. But that's really the, uh, that's the experience I'm trying to go for. Not everyone gets that. Not everyone wants that. People just want, some people just come in, their shoulder hurts, point to the owie, make the shoulder feel better. It's less satisfying for me to have those patients, but I have those patients. And that's, acupuncture is great at that too. Move some blood to where the injury is, help your body heal quicker, move some oxygen and some resources to where it needs to go. And that's all they want it for. But I, that, if, I, if I were doing that, I would not be able to sustain a very long career, I think. And what is your relationship? I, I mean, in so much as you have one to spirituality outside of acupuncture? That's an amazing question. Uh, It's such a hard one to talk about because I feel like anyone who talks about their spirituality just sounds like such a monster. And it's like talking about meditation where if like the minute you start talking about your meditation practice, you number one, you can't help but embellish it. And anyone who's listening to it feels terrible about their own meditation practice. And so I don't, I don't, there, there are things that I choose not to, but my spiritual practice is that I meditate and I believe there are things that you can feel that can't be seen. And I'm interested in those things. And I think that's sort of what spirituality comes from. And that's what, where acupuncture is for me is the idea that you get to sit alone in the dark and wait for something to happen and you can have feeling and you can experience things and that they don't have to be quantified and that life is more than the things that we see here and that everyone is born with a curriculum, specific things that everyone has to learn in this lifetime and everyone's curriculum is very, very different, which is why we can't be comparing ourselves to anyone else. But 
I was here, I'm here for a reason. I don't know that I'll ever know what that reason is, but I am in pursuit of that curriculum. And the older I get, the more it matters to me to find out and to not waste any more time and to use the time that I'm here to do what the work I think I have to do here is and, and to learn the lessons of what I have to learn here. You know, there's a reason the three of us were born into these bodies at this time, this experience, you know, you've both had varied lives. You've both had very specific human experiences. And for what? I don't believe it's random. I don't think it's all just free will. I think that there's a curriculum there. There's a life plan that you have to learn. And when you die, your spirit, we say, goes out the top of your head at do 20. It goes back up to the North Star, which is the Hall of Records, and it reports on what you learn. And it informs what you're going to have to do and what your curriculum is going to be the next time you come around. And I believe that. And now so do I. You explained that beautifully. Let's pivot to young Russell. Yeah. What, what, what was your coming out experience? Well, Matt, you know, I have lesbian moms. Yep. So I was huh? raised by lesbians and my dad, uh, my parents were married. I grew up here in Southern California. My mom left my dad one morning when I was 10 and didn't really, was a little cagey on the details of that. And then followed up, you know, that she was uh, with Diane, who is she still with, who is my other mom, who I adore. And so, uh, but when my dad told us that mom was with Diane, that he said, you know, like, again, this was 1988, 89, like, people don't love, people don't like gay people. So we shouldn't really talk about this. And that was kind of the lesson that I got from it, which was that like, this was something that like could stay in the family, but we don't really need to talk about it so much. And we never did. And we just did not speak about it. And then my mom's had all of these amazing women friends and my uh, bar mitzvah was sort of half older Jews and half like lady couples. And that interface had happened. My mom had like, it had like, was just happening. And again, it was the 80s. It wasn't a real sexy time for uh, the gay community or the, the lesbian community, but that was my childhood. And so I always was around gay people. My Each of my moms had a gay brother. There were always gays. My, bro my poor brother is the only straight person in the family, and I think he would he would choose otherwise if he could. Uh, so by the time I came out, I went to college, I went to Berkeley. I was you know, dealing with it, but not dealing with it. I had my own stuff going on in college. And so when I got out of Berkeley, I really came home and it was like, I was living in LA and I had started to make some gay friends. And I had just a very uh, intuitive understanding that I was going to be okay. Like, I just sort of was like, oh, like I'm gay. I'll be all right. This is going to be great. Like, not great, but like, I knew I was going to be fine. And I really wanted my moms to know that that's how I felt about it. I think that both of them, like my mom had a gay brother who died of AIDS. And I think I knew that she had some feelings about that. And I just wanted them to know, like, I'm gay and I'm, I'm good. And so that's how I came out to them. I was just like, very, like, that was what I wanted to say about it. It was not dramatic. It was not unsurprising, I'm sure, to either of them. And and that was that. My dad, I didn't really feel like I needed to have that conversation with. And I think he, um, I think it, I think it bugs him. I think it still bugs him that I didn't have like a very stereotypical sit down, dad, I need to tell you something conversation. But I also think that that is antiquated and silly and not does not speak to who I am. Like, I don't feel like I'm, uh, I don't, I, I just was living my life. And it was never like I had anything else. And then all of a sudden, uh, that was part of my life. And like, I was sort of like, catch up, 
this is who I am. Like, if you're curious, ask me questions. But I, I didn't feel that I was needing to like have a confessional with him. And then I became, and then I was just gay. I just thought it was. And then you're in your, you're in your twenties, you're, you're living your best gay life in LA. You're working in the film industry. Correct. And is there any like under, I'm sorry to keep bringing it back to this, but like a undercurrent of spirituality then Mm -mm. interest in acupuncture or no, that didn't happen. There was none of that. I mean, I was working in the film industry. My heart was dead and I (laughs) was um, dying slowly. I don't, it's funny because I was, I was much, uh, messier i think i think i was much more dramatic when i was younger i felt a little less stable and and really becoming an acupuncturist made me feel like an adult and i think it opened up a world for me i think about who i am now and it's very different than i probably was in my 20s some things obviously don't change but i think that the the one thing i have to say about being an acupuncturist is is that it really it helped me pay attention to the world. That's what I like about it is, is that it's a, it's a way of seeing the world. It's definitely, um, it's a perspective on existence and it's a language on that perspective. And so I get to both see things differently and then have words and understanding of what I see. And that has just changed who I am fundamentally. And, and it couldn't help but do that. Um, I'm still a jerk and I'm still a monster in so many ways, but I understand the world differently now and i'm so grateful for that like that's what acupuncture has done and and i can't help but see the world that way you know like i see the world through the five elements which sounds annoying when you say it but the five elements are just about the seasons and how the seasons are a metaphor for how the passing of time how one moves through their life the idea of like springtime coming from nothing into like the fulmination of summer into the grief of fall and then back into hibernation that is about how we move through our lives how that what that looks like and it's a great instruction of especially like when we're getting into fall which is like the season of um decay it's death it's loss and we've all been in this very intense state of grief i think since covid frankly But the idea of fall is, is that things are beautiful in fall. Like what is amazing about fall is the decay. And that's the goal of what that is in Chinese medicine is to see the loss and use it to refine what's important to you, to see things clearer, to use what is painful as a, as a, as a lens on how you want to live the rest of your life, how you want things to be, what matters most to you. And I think that like, that's what grief is supposed to do for us. It's supposed to turn into beauty. It's supposed to hone what is poignant. And I hope that that's even some of what's happening with COVID right now is that all of this pain is about crystallizing what matters. I think. I'm so glad Dave is finally getting the full Russell experience. Um, it's everything I hoped it would be. There's also the real pop part of it, which is that the fall element is the metal element and metal people are, it's a constitution type, which is perfectionists, you know, really fastidious people, very detail oriented people. And the reason why they're that way is because they're experiencing their world through the lens of grief. So to try and hedge future pain, they then get into a control thing and they want things to be flawless and they need things to be absolutely perfect because that is the way they think that they're going to circumvent feeling loss in the future. Sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't, but that's a personality type. And so when I have a patient who I'm like, ooh, there's a real, that there's, there's a, 
almost a coldness to that kind of detail-oriented, that's a grief response. And so I know when I'm dealing with someone like that, that there's some grief there, that there, there has been some grief, and that that is a learned behavior to deal with loss in general. Hmm. You've been in a relationship for a long time. How many years? So long, so long. Uh, we've been together for 12 years, which just seems insane wow. because neither of us are really relationship people. It's just, it's nuts. It's nuts. So how did you become relationship people? What was your meet cute? It was so stupid. It was just Grinder, but it was like the first week of Grinder because it was so long ago. It was like 2009. So it was like beta Grinder. And yep. it just was one of those things. The notorious story that he loves to tell is that we had like texted. There was a trade of photos. And at one point he sent me a photo and I said, nice. And he just was like, I'm not doing this. Like nice was not the answer. I meant it like, nice. And he heard it like, nice. And so he stopped texting me back. And wow. to this day, if you say, if I say nice to him, he'll, it like, that's like, you don't say nice to sexy time photos, apparently. It wasn't even a sexy time photo, by the way, but it was the, it was the relationship killer. And then we ran into each other at the, of all things, the Dory Alley Street Fair in San Francisco. And I made him talk to me, even though he was trying to like sort of ice me out based on the nice. And then we just started hanging out. And he lived in New York at the time. And so we sort of did a long distance thing. And then he came to LA and has been in LA for a hundred years. And it's just one of those ones where we really like each other. We really just do. And it's uh, it's so annoying because I think that like, I would love to be single. I think that I'm really good single. I really like the independence of it. Like, I think I'm my best self when I'm just on my own, but I have stuff to learn about myself. And I think we only get that education in reflection with someone else. And he's a really good reflection for me. And, um, and we just really get a kick out of each other. Like we just, after all these years, we really do. And COVID was great for us. I have to say, like, I think if someone had told me 12 years ago, like, oh, there's going to be a time where you're going to spend every minute together for 12 months straight, I would have been like, you're fucking out of your mind. But it was actually, um, it was great. And I think also with last year and the election and how just just insane last year was, I think now we feel like it was not, but like, it was crazy, all of that stuff last year. And just having like a partner in that and someone to like, medicate with in that and like we have a nice dynamic where when he is anxious i really rise and when i get my anxiety he really rises and i think we take turns pretty well and and it was just great to have someone to do that with and and we do that he's also a genius and it's so infuriating because he's really really smart and he has really changed the way that i see the world because his brain works in ways that mine does not and i really appreciate that and does he also speak the language of, of acupuncture? Absolutely I mean, are not. you no. no? And the poor guy, I mean, you guys probably know, although you guys are both writers, but like he has to talk about acupuncture so much more than a human being should ever have to talk about acupuncture for who's not an acupuncturist. Like he has to like read all the stupid stuff I write and he has to like help me with my website. I apologize constantly because acupuncture is so niche. Like even that I'm on this podcast is so insane. But, like it's really for people who want acupuncture and this poor guy. Oh, the amount of acupuncture and Chinese medicine he has to hear about on a just every day. I don't he's got to be a saint because no one should have to hear this much, but he just he does he does he does pretty well with it. He likes it. He likes it. And he comes to get acupuncture sometimes, but he has a very uh he be, 
I think because he's he's very sensitive, but also because he loves me and I love him, the acupuncture can be very intense for him. Like, you know, there's already, I feel like my acupuncture is a lot full of love, but now I'm actually with someone who like is my primary love and, and he feels very strongly and he goes to like, his brain just goes to crazy places. So he can't do it that often because it like really puts him in a space. Oh, wow. Also, I'm busy and I don't really want him in the office all that much. either. <laughs> you know, we typically, it feels weird to downshift into this, but we just haven't, we haven't checked this box with you. What have you been, like, what have your pop culture medications been uh, during this time? And uh, do they have anything to do with the uh, arranged by color books behind you? Those are my boyfriend, though, because that's his brand. Oh, I, see. I, I could, okay. he's, he's metal. He's autumn. I don't care, yeah. but he likes that. He thinks that's pretty. Uh, it is pretty. He's right. I have, what have I been watching? I've been watching the other two. You guys watch the other two? Oh yeah. my God. The best show on television, right? It's just so good. absolutely unreal. Yeah. That actress, Helena York, I just think is the funniest actress. Those, it's, those, they're just so good. They're just so good. I love what we do in Shadows, if you've been watching that. Uh -huh. which I think just really discovered good. it. It's so oh God, good. It's, it's so, so stupid and just lovely. Um, what else? I mean, obviously, I'll do all the drag races. Um, sure. All the whole thing. Although we stopped doing Holland. It just got too crazy. Holland just, I, I lost it at Holland. But mm. Spain, I thought, was the best one there's ever been. And it was such a nice relief to, like, have a different sensibility, I thought. And uh, the judges on Spain, I thought, were great. But I'm very uh, invested in the drag race uh, cinematic universe. Uh, yeah. I don't mm -hmm. do the housewives anymore, which I know as a, as a Matt McConkey crime, but I can't do them anymore. Something happened and the, um, the formula stopped working for me, I think. Mm -hmm. And especially post, you know, like once the Trump administration really came in, the idea of like glorifying, glorifying affluence just became disgusting to me. I have yeah. to say, and yeah. I was doing them all. I was down for every one of them i would do some garbage in the oc i was like let's have a party in new york and now all of a sudden i'm like they're platforming sociopaths that i just don't think are fun anymore i don't i don't know how i ever thought ramona singer was fun at, at a certain point you know like yeah. that mm -hmm. whole idea of it i think that there was a moment in the 2010s when that sort of arch kind of crassness felt kind of giggly in a way and it they were drag queens totally yeah and i think we sort of feel like oh it's giving roles to women in television and there's like a little bit of a benevolence there but i think that i don't think that that's the case anymore and i actually think that they're um i don't i don't know why we think that these are the people that need to be platformed i think about like how i used to watch vanderpump rules and i'm like why does why does why do why does a network need to platform these these people as opposed to all of the other people who are doing amazing things, you know, like we watch Legendary. I don't know if you watch that HBO. Uh -huh. Oh, yeah. Show, Legendary. You know, they don't really spend too much time with the contestants, but those contestants are amazing. Why aren't we platforming those contestants? You know, those are people who've actually, like, lived lives and are actually trying to do things with their lives. And instead, we've decided that, like, Jax Taylor needs to be the star of a television show. Like, I can't go back in a weird way. And no one's more surprised by that than me because I was so down for all of that garbage for a mm -hmm. minute and yeah. I just can't go back on it. It's so weird. Yeah. Jax Taylor, by the way, my neighbor. No way. Oh, here we yeah. are bragging. I mean, here we are once again. Um, never really talked to him. I've only seen him around the neighborhood on his motorized uh, cooler. 
he's got like a golf cart that is also a cooler and he just kind of drives around the neighborhood. Not so much now that the kid is there, but yeah. Tells you everything you need to know. Everything tells you, you pretty much everything you need to know yeah. and more. Right. Well, it's also, I think, because what's interesting is, is that the tension of Bravo especially is, is that they're making those shows ostensibly for Republicans, right? Republican women. I think that is the audience for those shows and, and gay men. And I just think that that is an interesting dynamic that we're not really talking about. But every once in a while, you'll watch one of those like Andy Cohen, Watch What Happens Live, and they'll do those quizzes and those quizzes go real conservative. And you're like, oh, that's who the Bravo fan actually is. And I think that there's some, there's a real interesting tension that that uh, to that. Yeah. 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 Russell, uh, I could talk to you all day. I this appreciate been... you coming so much. Uh, so if you ever want to start a cult, uh, please make me your first phone call. I'm too lazy. I'm way too lazy for a cult. A cult seems like a lot of work. I did watch all the Nexium documentaries, by the way, so I feel uh-huh. they're very uh-huh. seasoned on cults. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely there's a lot of paperwork. There's a lot of you know, yeah. there's a lot of organizing. There's a lot of uh, you know, volleyball. Um, that's why you need yeah. a good number, a uh, good number two, uh, a deputy. Yes, exactly. right. Well, you will be sticking needles in me very shortly in the next couple of weeks. I would I'm love trying it. to figure out my, my appointment now. And I yeah. look forward to yeah, it. Yeah. Everybody who is in the LA area, go to, to uh, poke acupuncture in Hollywood. Good luck getting an appointment. Yeah. Um, hottest ticket it's in town. Before I leave, I would say that, you know, acupuncture is not for everyone and I don't, want to come out here like it is what i hope is is that everyone has something though i think that the world is very hard i'm not one of these healers or wellness practitioners who thinks that life is easy i actually think it's really hard i think the world is really hard i think the world is really hard right now the anxiety is really hard i see in my patients it's just wearing people down the fatigue is so intense like the the bad news has been so visceral for so long that I just hope that everyone is taking a little bit of time to be soft. I think that's what's, what I like about acupuncture is, is that my patients who've come here have said, I need an hour of softness. I need it to be quiet. I need the grind to release me for a little bit. I want to just float. And if that's acupuncture, that's great. If it's something else, it's something else. If it's soul cycle, do that too. You're the best, Russell. Thank you so, so much for doing this homophilia is a world of wonder production produced and edited by kate moldenhauer special thanks to randy barbato fenton bailey stephen sims edward bochniak and the whole team at world of wonder we love you and theme music by my ben wise Yes, uh, you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at HomophiliaPod. You can give us a five-star review uh, on Apple Podcasts. Mm. Thank you for listening. We love you. Mm.